Well, welcome again. Welcome to the Worship of God at Redemption Parker. Again, if I haven't had an opportunity to say hi, hi, and if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, we're glad you're here uh, with us. And uh, for the rest of you that are uh, returning, I just, uh, whenever possible, just want to say it is a joy to be with you each Sunday. It's a joy to be with you in our gospel communities. So thank you for making that a joy for, for me, for my family, for the Dugas family, for everyone here. So we love you guys, and uh, we're excited what God is doing in this place. If you have a Bible or a, a phone app or uh, whatever, if you want to turn to the book of First Timothy in the New Testament, uh, towards the right side of your Bible, First Timothy is where we're going to be mostly, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be moving on to First uh, Peter 5 as well. So you can kind of do some work ahead of time on that. Again, if you're just joining us, we're, we're a church that just wants to be uh, about making much of Jesus. Uh, we exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And so uh, this series is a little bit different in that we are, aren't going through a book of the Bible, though we will right after Easter. We're going we're gonna to plow through the Gospel of John all the way up till the new year. Uh, but for this series, we're, we're kind of pausing and asking the question, what is the church uh, what is our function in the church? And I said from the beginning, and I want to say every week, my whole goal in this and my prayer for you and for me, and God has been answering this for me, is that our affections for God's church would, would rise and, and that our knowledge of what the church should look like would, would grow and, and our commitment to the church w- would be expanded. Uh, and and we, I just said, because when we start to look at it, and we have been over the last several weeks, God loves the church. He sets his affections on the church. He calls the church his bride. He shed his blood for the church. He calls it his body. Like all the language that God uses of the church should be stirring our affections for the church. And so often we kind of just think of it secondarily or a necessary evil or whatever the case may be. But I hope that that would not be the case here. And so we asked the question in week one, what is the church. And we said the church is a people and not a place. And, and, and it's a particular kind of people. It's a people from all uh, types of, well, the Revelation says every tribe, tongue, and nation uh, from, from far and from near rescued by Jesus, transferred from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son God loves. And so that's the church. So whenever uh, someone gets saved, they're, they're part of the church and, and they come into what, what we call the universal church. But, but in that, we saw that uh, the church is, is built upon the Word of God. That's our authority. Uh, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And we want to be a church that has Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And we want Jesus as the center. So we call it uh, gospel-centered. Uh, like, if you put anything else in the center, no matter how good it is, uh, we, we don't stand a chance. So, so an example I use is uh, Christians should be involved in pushing back darkness, resisting injustice. So, so we should be involved in social justice. But if that's the center, uh, like we're going to fall apart because we come from different perspectives and different backgrounds and ethnicities, and, and we're not going to agree on how, how we should do that. And if that's our center, we have no hope. Well, let's just bring it a little bit closer here. If the center of our church is our worship style, we have no hope. Because some of you are like, it's too loud. As many people in this room are as many preferences that, that, that come to the table in worship. 
So other people are like, it's not loud enough. I need the bass to hit my chest so I can feel the Holy Spirit. When it goes. In fact, if you could get the fog machine, that would help me. And dim the lights and get some lasers, that would help me. And that's your preference. Other people are like, I liked it when Dave Lemieux was here. I like that bluesy, gospel-y thing. And some people are like, that's not worship music. Well, if you don't think so, you're in for a surprise for eternity. Because from every tribe, tongue, and nation, the multitudes were gathered before the throne. And in their way, they're going to worship King Jesus. And it's going to be very diverse. And the more we get into accepting the diversity of worship, the better we will be prepared for that moment. Some of you are like, we want only hymns. In fact, just take all the instruments out. We'll just sing it together. Others, you're like, why are we singing hymns? The Bible itself says, sing a new song. <laughs> and so every week we come with our preferences, but if our preferences move to the center, we don't have a hope. And so I, I tell Aaron, I'm like, Here, here's some guidelines, but I, I don't want to ever be comfortable with the entire set because that means you're just going to my preferences and we can't be a church of preferences. And so worship can't be at the center. But well, what about even, even other things? Like discipleship. So becoming more like Jesus. Like if that's the center, and that seems like a pretty good thing, then how, how are we going to go about that? Because some of you, you think discipleship is Sunday school. We don't, we don't, have, even, we don't even have Sunday school here. Others are, uh, maybe you came from a, a more programmatic church, maybe a mega church, and they had a very specific ministry for every stage in life, like six different singles groups, like uh, young singles, the young career singles, single again, uh, single yet again, uh, twilight singles, they got like a few hours left, whatever. Um, <laughs> But in every grade and every stage in life, and we could give testimony, powerful testimony of how God worked in those things. So I'm not knocking any of those things. Like God meets us in, in those things, uh, but, but we don't have a lot of programs here. In fact, we've intentionally said we're not going to pursue programs for our discipleship, though God is using that everywhere. We're not going to do Sunday school, though many of you could say that's where I really learned to love and know Jesus. We say we, we, we want it to be more organic. We want it to be uh, in our gospel communities. We, we, we think discipleship is holistic. We think it's happening even right now. We think it's happening through the songs we sing. We think it's happening through the prayers we pray. Uh, but again, we're going to disagree. So, so the only thing that brings us together, I mean, some people have really crazy preferences and they make it to the center. Like, like my friend uh, who pastors a church over in Littleton, he told me that uh, he, he, they have the connect cards. That's where we got him from, by the way. He's like, you need connect cards. And so I said, okay, we'll do that. And so he followed up with a visitor and he said, how did it go? He's like, well, well, they said, well, we love the church. It, it was great, but we can't come back. Well, why can't you come back? The ceiling was too low. I mean, seriously, like if the ceiling's too low, if that's our center, man, we don't have any hope. Like we don't, we don't own this building. Thankfully, it's a high ceiling. But then I thought about it. I was like, actually, if we had a low ceiling, I bet we'd have less people at Redemption Parker. But it can't be the center. The only thing that can be the center is what this table represents. So we come to this table each week reminded that the center is the gospel. The center is, is Christ's broken body and shed blood. We come to the table, all sinners rescued and redeemed by Jesus. And when that's the center, all of our preferences can, can be on the side. It's okay to have preferences. 
It's okay to prefer a t- particular type of worship style, but it just can't be the thing that you're going to say, check this box and, and I'll be a covenant member of a community of faith. This table represents the center. So, so that was week one. I better hurry up. Week two. What did we talk about week two? Uh, so week one, oh yeah, that, that God is a covenant God, that he is a God who uh, establishes covenants. Uh, he is a God that uh, uh, keeps covenant. He's a God that even keeps covenant for us when we don't. Through the gospel, Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty for our covenant breaking. And then he's a God that empowers us to keep covenant by his Holy Spirit. And so uh, we have some hope in there uh, with just being a covenant people. And the, the illustration the Bible uses and the one we use is marriage. Marriage is covenant, not contract. It's relational, not contract. So if you go to a wedding this summer and, and they start to do the vows and they're uh, contractual vows, like I'll, I'll cook the dishes if you make the, the meals and, and I'll make money if you take me on vacation, uh, we're all out of there in that moment. We're getting our... our, our gift at the back, because that's ending up in a pawn shop soon, because we know that doesn't work. And we saw in the Bible that in the New Testament, there's 59 times where we're commanded the one, to one another each other, to love one another, serve one another, uh, encourage one another. And 59 times, we went through all of those that, 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 to be one another. But because we're in covenant and not contract, we don't come through the door saying, these people better be that for me. No, we say, how can I be this for the other people regardless of how they act? And that's good advice in marriage because that's a covenant. You come to your marriage, how can I give myself away? How can I serve regardless of the other person? And that's good advice for churches because we're a covenant community. And so then we last week got a little bit more on the ground level and said, as a covenant community, we said that every believer, everyone that has been rescued by Jesus should in some way, shape, or form be able to say, those are the people I do life with. Those are the people I covenant with. Those are the people that I don't, I'm not too quick to push away from the table when things go poorly because things are going to go poorly, right? We've said all along, there are no perfect churches. And praise God for that because if there were, wouldn't we be crushed under the weight of that because we are not perfect ourselves? And we've said, we're, if we're going to be covenant people, that means we're going to offend each other. We're going to sin against each other. And if we don't understand covenant, we just push away from the table and go to the next church and go to the next church and go to the next church. But if we understand covenant, we say, okay, I've been offended. You, I, I've sinned against you, but let's, let's deal with this in a distinctly covenant way, a distinctly Christian way. Let's, let's try to work that out. So that was last week. And then th- this week, uh, so we said everybody should be a member uh, of a local church. And every church kind of maybe does that differently. We're going to open up covenant membership for those of you that uh, want to just say, yeah, we're all in on this in a couple weeks. Uh, and we'll give you more details with that. And so every Christian should be in a covenant community. And so out of that, in God's providence, he said, now I also have a plan for the leading of the church. And so now that's where some of us in our cultural mindset get a little bit nervous because we see abuse of authority and leadership all over the place. We see it in the church. Some of you have experienced that. We see it in our government. Can I get an amen? We see see it in some of you work for companies where you're like, man, that leadership structure is terrible. My my boss is terrible. And in so many ways, uh, culturally, we push away from any kind of idea of leadership. 
And the Bible says that for the good of his bride, he he has ordained that some would would lead the church. He calls them elders uh, or overseers or pastors. Those are all interchangeably. He also talks about deacons. We're not even going to touch that today. Uh, That's another sermon for another year. But we're going to talk about elders. And, And there's just a lot of miscommunication of what that means right? Like, what is that? Like a Jedi council that meets on the side or a bunch of elves and a council of Elrond over on the side? No, that's, that's not what, what elders are. When I became a Christian and joined a church, uh, again, I, I've told you before, it, it very quickly became a mega church. And God did a lot of things in my own life in that. So I'm not knocking that in any way, shape, or form. It's just that as I, I learned, I, I thought, oh, this is how churches run. You have one charismatic guy who's at the top. We call him senior pastor. And then uh, under him, maybe he has a, a board, but the board is like all millionaires and they're really bankrolling the church to, to get the next building and, and grow bigger. And, and then under that, you have staff pastors and they're, they're, they're the, all the hired people to do the shepherding and ministry. And then maybe under that, our church had elders, but no one knew what they did. And then maybe deacons, because that's in the Bible also. And then you had members, but it was always kind of like, Wow, I guess this is how it works. And even when, when we went to seminary, that was kind of assumed. Like, you've succeeded as a pastor if you get a corner office where you can see Pikes Peak and Longs Peak. Like, that, that means you've, you've, you've done well as a pastor. And so even in seminary, we didn't even talk about elders, which is surprising because we'll see there's a lot to say about how God would want his church led and run. So some of you are like, well, that's good. I'm not going to be an elder. This, uh, the message doesn't apply to me. No, it does because you should, one, uh, should understand God's purpose for his church. Two, the men we brought up in front of you, for those of you that are going to be covenant members, we want you to get to know them. We want you to see that what, what, it, what, it, what I'm saying, is that true of them? Does this represent uh, Matthew? Does it represent Brad? Does it represent Nick? And, and spend time with them. And then finally, it's just really a picture of maturity. Does it represent you? Like, is this something that you should be demonstrating in your life? So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to answer just two questions today. This is going to be a a very simple, straightforward message. We're going to walk through the text. And in this text, Paul is instructing Timothy, his young protege, how to lead the church and how to find elders and and what to look for when he's looking for elders. And so he gives them 14 qualifications that an elder must have to be an elder. Not like, oh, two out of three is not bad. No, you, you need to have all of these to have that. So we'll walk through that. So we'll ask the question, who are they and what do they do? Who are elders and, and what do they do? So let me go ahead and uh, read the passage. That's not the passage. First uh, Timothy chapter 3. I'll read the passage and pray one more time for us, and then we'll just begin to walk through. Listen carefully. This is God's word. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the, God's church? He must, be, 
He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God, we pray that your word would uh, instruct our hearts, even in this passage, that it would stir our affections for, for your wisdom and your kindness to us, that you are making the manifold wisdom of, of God known to the world through your church, Lord. So we want to know it rightly and live it rightly. So help us now, Holy Spirit, be our teacher. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in the qualifications, one is assumed. So, so this doesn't count as one of the 14. But the first one that's assumed is that elders are men. Now, that, that doesn't say anything about the value, the worth, the gifting, the abilities of any women. That's, it's, a, it's an office, not a judgment of women. There is a difference in the same way that a, a father is a man and a mother is a woman. Elders are men. Now, they're the type of men that women flourish under. And if the church is not, if the women in the church are not flourishing, it's because the elders are not the type of men that should be elders. Does that make sense? So again, it's not about gifting, intelligence, or ability. I know many women that have more giftings, intelligence, and ability than me. I'm married to one of them. So it's no comment on her value. It's just saying that this is God's ordained way uh, to unleash the church, to guard and guide the church. Well, let's go through the the 14 other qualifications. Uh, Verse 1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So the first qualification is that there must be an aspiration, a a desire for the role. Now, you might be thinking, well, of course, Mark, like everyone desires power and authority, but that's not what he's aspiring to. The, the, the aspiration of an elder is to sacrifice, service, and death. I see you don't believe me. So uh, Matthew 20, 25, uh, on the screen, I'll, I'll pull it up here. Jesus talks about this uh, in, in terms of uh, leadership. Matthew 20, 25, let's see here. I know that doesn't say it the right way, but um, where am I? Oh, there it is. Okay. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the aspiration of an elder. That's what he must have. He must say, uh, I've been so captured by your grace, God. I've been so rescued and redeemed by you, and I love your church. I'll, I'll lay down my preferences for your church. I'll lay down my life for your church. I'll serve your church. I'll lead the way. It's not to power and authority that the elder must aspire. Now, there is an authority that comes with eldership, but we saw last week in Hebrews 13, it's a type of authority that should make all elders very, very nervous because they have to give an account to God for the way they shepherd their church. So, so he has to have aspiration. That's, that's number one to the job. Uh, number two, he must be above reproach. Th- this just means that, that there must not be any scent of scandal with him. Uh, he, he must have a life that there's no obvious and grievous sin. Now, there are no sinless elders, or else we'd, fi- we'd, have, to, you know, we'd have to fire them all 
because no one's sinless. But, but there should be a, a desire toward holiness. There should be a, a, a model towards holiness. There should be a, a, a model of continual repentance. And, and just there, there should be no, no audible gasp when we bring up guys and say, these are going to be our candidates. And everyone's like, are you serious? You should be like, no, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I've seen their guys. That's why Brad said, like, uh, to bring those guys up there, it, it's, it wasn't a risk for us, especially as we do it the first time. Like, uh, Matthew, we're getting to know more and more, but, but uh, the other guys, we, we've known for years. Like, for years we've been in their life. For years we're like, this is, this is a no-brainer, so this will be an easy one for us because we want you to know these guys meet this. Nonetheless, we want you to get to know them and, and, and see, do they line up with all of this? So they're above reproach. Number three, the husband of one wife. So how are we to understand this? Some people say, well, he can't be single. The problem with that is the Bible um, and the guy that wrote this to the guy that wrote this, both of them single, both of them elders. And in fact, Paul will say, uh, in, in some ways, it's better to be single and serve the church because you have more time. You have more uh, ability to just give your life away to the church rather than uh, being split between your, your family and the church. And so it, it's not that. Other people say, well, it can't be a divorced man. I don't necessarily think that's the case either. I mean, I think we would look at it from a case-by-case basis, but I don't think that that's what this is implying. I think what it's implying is he's a one-woman man. He has set his affection on one woman. He is not caught and taken away by fantasies. He's not addicted to pornography. He treats other women in the church as sisters. There's no air of flirtatiousness with him. So he's a one-woman man. He's sober-minded. This just means he's able to think well. He's not, he doesn't chase after every doctrinal fad that comes down the line. He doesn't, he's not unstable in his thinking. He's a hard thinker. He's a reader. I tell guys all the time, leaders are readers and readers are leaders. You're not going to be an elder if you're not willing to outread the congregation. So you read, and you think hard, and you, you think of yourself well. You, you have a right assessment of yourself, right? There's no uh, first three episodes of American Idol for the elder room, right? Like, actually, you can't sing, um, but actually, you can't preach, and you think you're great, but no, you, you, you can't do that. Uh, so you just got to be able to uh, be sober-minded, think well, think hard. He's self-controlled. He's self-controlled. This just means that he's only, the only thing that controls him is his love for Jesus and the Spirit. So he can enjoy a nice porterhouse steak, but he's not a glutton. He can have an IPA, a cab, or a single malt, but he's not a drunkard. He can, uh, he can pursue some hobbies. He can be a golfer, a skier, a hunter, uh, but those things don't define him. They don't, they don't distract, take away from his family or his church or his finances or all those things. He's not controlled by those things. Um, maybe some, some more examples. He, he can go work out, but his life goal isn't to get six-pack abs. Like that's not, he's not building his, don't worry, I don't struggle with that. So I <laughs> just want to put that out there. Um, you know, he, he can be passionate about politics, but, but he's not going to get angry with you if you uh, vote for a different party. Like he's, he knows the gospel is more important than our political positions. Uh, he can watch the game on Sunday, but he's not going to let the actions of, of what a 20-year-old does with a ball affect his emotions so that it affects his family life. 
He's self-controlled. So maybe he's none of those things, uh, but those are just some examples. Like, he's not controlled by anything other than his love for Jesus. Next one, he's respectable. This is also in verse 7. He must be thought well of by outsiders. So I'm putting these ones together. He's he's someone that both inside the church and outside the church, people uh, seek out for advice. They seek out for uh, wisdom and insight. And so uh, he just carries himself with respect. So that uh, if, if, if Brad's neighbor comes in here and says, oh, Brad's a neighbor, he shouldn't be surprised by that. Like, yeah, of course, uh, Brad's an elder. Uh, that, that makes sense. If my non-believing neighbor sees me out on the street, he shouldn't think, oh, man, that guy's a jerk. <laughs> he, he should think, man, that guy's he's kind of a bit of a Jesus freak. I don't agree with all that stuff, but something about him, I still like to go talk to him. He's probably going to tell me about Jesus again. But that's okay. I, there's something about him. So that's what this, an elder must be. He must be respectable. He's hospitable. So uh, our culture has hijacked this term biblically. Uh, this doesn't mean he's a male version of Martha Stewart. doesn't mean he can uh, t- decorate his table for Thanksgiving in the right way, however that looks. It doesn't mean he can bake and all those things or, or make the perfect steak, although that would help. It means that he has a genuine concern to be in people's lives. He has a genuine concern for lost people. He has a genuine concern for the people of the church. And in whatever way possible, he wants to be in their lives. He wants to open their home and have people into his home. I know some pastors that have said, well, you know, just for, for authority, you know, I got to have a, a, a good boundary there and never have anyone in my home. And, and so they respect me. I'm like, you know, it's one of the qualifications to be a pastor, to be hospitable, right? Or do you not care about that part? But here's the other thing. When they go into the home, do they want to come back? Like, like that, it's one thing to have people in your home, but if they'd ever come back, then maybe they're not hospitable. It just means they care for lost people. He's able to teach. That doesn't mean like he can preach and do all those things, but in some way, shape, or form, he's able to answer from the Word of God, meaning he knows the Word of God. So if you have questions or you're in your gospel community or one-on-one or in a classroom setting, he can answer you from the Word of God. And so he studies the Word. He's not a drunkard. Now, for us, this might seem obvious, like, man, um, yeah, drunks don't make great pastors. But um, in that culture, uh, these people were being saved out of pagan religion and pagan culture, that part of their worship was to get drunk and make offerings to Aphrodite. So Paul saw fit, like, he can't be a drunk. He he, he can have a, a glass of wine. He can have an IPA. He just can't need it. He can't be controlled by it. Uh, verse uh, number 10 and 11 are kind of together. Not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. So, so you don't want elders that are looking for a fight. Kind of like a Gestapo rolling, ruling the church with a heavy hand. On the other hand, you don't want elders that are afraid of the fight. Who, Whenever uh, issues come up and whenever something gets a little tense, they, they bail on it. You want guys that don't like war but will go to war. You want guys that don't love fight, but will enter in where necessary. So they're not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Number 12, is not a lover of money. 
Not, not obsessed with how, how his stuff. It doesn't mean he doesn't have money. It doesn't even mean he doesn't have nice things. But, but he lives his life as an example to show that even the money he has is used to show that Jesus is supreme and glorified, that Jesus is the all-sufficient treasure. He's generous. So in every way, an elder should lead the way. So, so elders, according to their means, we've told the guys, like, you should give more than everyone else to the work of, of God's work. Because we can't expect the, the body to be generous if, if elders aren't leading the way in that way as well. So they should be generous, not controlled by money. Number 13, he must manage his own household well. He, 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 Paul actually kind of unpacks this very, uh, to more degree than the other ones. Um, where is that? Uh, oh, yeah, verse 4. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? The home is the proving ground for elders. The home is the proving ground for elders. Again, uh, in, is, we, we want to look at these guys' lives. Are their wives thriving and flourishing in their gifts? Are, are there children thriving and flourishing children? Not that, not that a father or a husband can control the, the salvation of their children, but, but notice what Paul says, uh, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So, so there's a way to keep your children submissive with no dignity, with, with fear, intimidation, and even abuse. And there's a way with all dignity to uh, love and shepherd your own family. Paul is saying, if a man is, won't sacrifice himself for his family, don't expect that man to sacrifice himself for the family of God. So a godly man, an elder, is a tired man. He, he works his shift, and when he comes home, he doesn't just say, my time now, uh, give me a beer, I'm going to sit on the couch and watch sports center. No, second shift begins, and he says, hey, how can I help with the kids? He's on the ground with the kids. He's playing with the kids. Uh, how can I help with the dinner? And, and then how can I help get them to bed and, and tuck them in and, and read to them at night and pray with them? And second shift ends, and then third shift starts. Now he pursues his wife. He, he, he gets into her life. He pursues her heart. How are you doing? How, 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 did, how did your day go? And he goes, and at 10 o'clock, his head hits the pillow, and he knows in eight hours he's going to have to get up again and do it again. Some of you are like, well, I don't like that. Well, then stay single. No, seriously, stay single, because the call of a godly man is to give himself away for the flourishing of his children and his wives. So it, it's hard work. Well, where's my time? Well, you don't have any time. <laughs> or you get up early. Before the, you get up before the kids and, and you find your time. And so we want to, we wanna, in this process, uh, even though we've, we've done it to some degree, but we want you to as well, like spend time. Like we want to we get to know the wives. We want to get to know the children. How are things going at home? Or is, there, is he a different person on Sunday morning than, that we don't see in your home? So you got to manage your own household well. we got to see the flourishing of the family to be considered for eldership. Uh, and then finally, he must not be a new believer. This just says that, that uh, it's tempting for new believers to think that the call to eldership is the power and authority, and the world likes that. 
And he says, so, so there can be some, there, there is a, a power, there is authority with it, but that's not the call, call. And so there just needs some time with Jesus. There needs some time coming down the ladder uh, that, that Jesus is, uh, is seen and savored as we serve and we get on our knees and we wash the feet uh, of the city and of the church. Uh, when you start to understand that, then that just takes time. And so he can't be a new believer. Notice in all 14 of these, only one of them is a skill, able to teach. Like, like the rest are character qual- qualities. The rest are, are things that all of us in some way, shape, or form should aspire to. So that's who an elder is. Now we'll go quicker through what does an elder do? First Peter 5, verse 1, First Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So there's three things that the shepherd does. One of them we already talked about, but the two that are in here is first and foremost what, Paul, what, what Brad already talked about. The, the call to an elder is not the CEO uh, visionary of, of the church. The call to an elder is to shepherd the people, to be with people. Shepherds smell like sheep because they're with the sheep. Like they spend time with the sheep. And so um, that's why we, we want to raise up more and more elders. Like if the Lord would have us grow and grow, we need more elders because uh, one elder can handle about 100 sheep, like to be in, in, in their lives. So we need more to, to be in people's lives. Not that everyone would know every single elder, but you should at least have a relationship with one of them, that there should be some time with them. There's a shepherding, a shepherd's guard, protect the sheep. They, they guard and protect. And so when they see a dog, they kick the dog out. When they see a wolf, they shoot the wolf. Now, don't take that too literally, but um, I know some of you have concealed carry. I get it. Um, well, actually, yeah, if a wolf comes in here. Um, but you get it. They, they guard. They, they, they spend time. They're, they're with. They're, they're laying down their lives. They're shepherds. But even in this, we're reminded that they are under shepherds that Jesus Christ is going to come as the chief shepherd. And so the under-shepherds are, are looking to Jesus and saying, how, how should I shepherd, shepherd your, your flock? What are my instructions? And so they should have a, a consistent relationship with Jesus in that. Secondly, it says they, they govern, they, they exercise oversight. So there, there's a whole bunch in, in church, church life and ministry that is gray area, that, that every church and elder team has to decide how, how to do this. So, so the Bible's kind of more like a missionary handbook. Like, here are the objectives that you are to achieve, but, but in your culture, in your context, in your setting, and with your gifts, you got to figure out what's the best way. So Matthew 28, we read today, make disciples of all nations. We already talked about that. Some people are like, well, you make disciples by one-on-one. I was discipled by the navigators, and so we did scripture memory, and, and we did one-on-one stuff. That's the way to do it. Well, Others are like, no, Sunday school. Others are like, this program. And we as elders have said, no, we're going to pursue gospel communities. We're going to pursue a holistic approach. 
And that's a, that's a leading in a gray area. So, so uh, uh, an elder has to be able to say, I, I need to get around that mountain. Should I go over it? Should I go to the side? Should I go along the river? And, and they've got to make the call. And sometimes you won't get, you won't understand. You won't, you won't even agree with the call. But if we're in a covenant community, you can say, well, I can trust that God is the chief shepherd here and I can follow who he's put forth to me. So they govern, they give oversight. And finally, they teach. And I would say specifically, they teach with the aim of setting the theological and doctrinal boundaries of the church. So, so they say, here's what's true. Through, repeatedly in the New Testament, the, the letters are written to churches to say, guard the truth. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. For in so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearing. Uh, a, sh- a shepherd, an elder has to know the truth. And he has to know what's out there. What, what's the cultural air out there that, that is untruth? What, what, what is the belief of Mormonism that is, that is perv- pervasive in this area? Do you know what it is? Do you know what they, what they teach about the Trinity? Do you know what they teach about the Word of God? An elder must know that, and he must be able to engage that, and he must be able to guard the flock against that, and so on and so forth. So they set the theological and doctrinal boundaries of the church. So as I close, just three things. First, again, I would just say, especially for men, uh, in terms of just the call of eldership, like, there, there is no reason why, if you're a follower of Christ, that those should not be your pursuits. Like, like you, not, not necessarily that you aspire to elder, but all the other, the 13 other ones, that, that should be a pursuit of yours. So, so you use it as a litmus test for your life. What areas do you need to grow in? Uh, second, I, as we've said, is just over the next nine months or so, uh, would you just use that as a criteria for getting to know our elder candidates, getting to, into their lives and say, asking the question, do they represent 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7? And then finally, uh, I know this is a little bit self-serving, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, would you pray for your elders regularly? Would you make it a practice to pray for us? Like, uh, would you pray as we're studying the Word of God each week that we would hear from God so that we could feed the sheep? Would you, would you pray for our families, that, that our wives and our children would flourish under our leadership, and, and where they're not, that we would repent? Would you pray for our protection? The enemy hates the church. It is his number one target, the church. And the enemy loves to bring down the leadership of the church because nothing does more damage to a church than seeing the leaders fall. And so would you pray for us on a regular basis? To that end, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll come to the table that we center our lives on once again. God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your divine sovereignty and wisdom and knowledge. And God, none of our local churches do this perfectly or sometimes even well. But God, I thank you for your grace even in that as we make mistakes. And um, Lord, I pray that you would just help us, uh, help us to know when when that is the case and help us to, to be built on the foundation of the word of God and Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Lord, I pray for these men that uh, are going through the process. God, may it just be a a rich time of of growing their affections for you and for your church in the days to come. And God, now I pray that uh, we would continue in our worship as we come to your table and as we sing and as we give and as we pray together. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.